0: Yes.
1: Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly biography show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business.
2: My guest today is an intelligent long-time acquaintance and avid writer, Mr. Tommy Foltz. I first became aware of Tommy's intelligent perspective when he wrote for The Best of Arkansas Sports, an online publication based in Northwest Arkansas. At the time, my husband would read out loud to meet Tommy's articles. I always agreed with his written comments. Later, I began to follow Tommy on Facebook and read his Razorback post-game posts. Sometimes my husband and I would use Tommy's perspective to settle an argument about how a game was won or lost. But I am not the only person to notice Tommy's bright ideas and quick wit. As far back as college, he worked for some impressive people, President Bill Clinton and Senator Dale Bumpers. In his early career, he worked on a national scale in a big business of natural gas. Most recently, Mr. Foltz has become an editorial writer for the Democrat Gazette newspaper, A platform for him to write about just about anything. Like many 50-plus people, Tommy has a windy story full of ups and downs, and like all successful people, he has a never-quit attitude. I don't say this next thing lightly. With Tommy's permission, today we're going to talk about his early successes, his political connections, his near-death experience from liver failure, and the unthinkable the tragic loss of his son to suicide. If you don't already know, the number two cause of death among 10 to 24 year olds is suicide. It is with great pleasure. I welcome to the table, the deep thinker thought provoking writer and survivor, Mr. Tommy Fultz. Hey, Tommy.
3: Hey, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, Setting me up to follow the Dalai Lama. That's uh, <laughs> there's nowhere to go but down from here. So.
2: I told you he was quick-witted. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> so you're the only person I think that has ever filled out the questionnaire so perfectly. You were like, I mean, you could tell you're a writer. You're like, uh, I don't really want to fill out this questionnaire. I'm gonna send you a chronological date of everything that's happened to me since <laughs> I was I graduated from high school. I was like, thank you very much, yeah. Tommy.
3: I don't know what you want. That's no, not everything that's happened to me, but uh, some of some of the highlights for sure.
2: So after reading your bio, I know that you love sports, and I didn't know why you love sports, and I didn't know why you knew so much about sports because, like I said in the intro, I've been reading uh, reading your, mm-hmm. your your articles. But you're a place kicker. You you I guess you kicked in in high school at Central High School.
3: I did, I and, did.
2: And then you were going to go to college and be a place kicker.
3: Well, I had an opportunity to uh, be kind of what you would call now, like a preferred walk-on at the University of Tennessee. And I decided that if I'm going to play for a state school, that I'd go play for my own state school. So I tried out uh, my freshman year and didn't make it. I felt like I didn't make it. uh,
2: Where? At At the University of Arkansas? Yeah.
3: The second semester, I tried out again and felt like I did make it. And at that time, we were kind of struggling with kickers up there and i was basically rejected so i walked on back to the fight out house and continued my career from there
2: <laughs> your drinking career that's about all those fraternities are good for some yeah it was
3: well you know my, my college career was kind of a you know major in chasing girls and uh i played a lot of basketball <laughs> drank a lot of beer played you know uh chased a lot of girls
2: i could tell because when you graduated from college you moved to colorado and you were, and with your good brain you worked in bars and you worked on the ski slope.
3: Well, I did. I mean, that's you know, for fun. well, you know, I mean, I kind of to get where I am today, I've kind of like, you know, followed the normal path that any any journalist would take, which is, you know, get a communication degree, not journalism, move to Aspen, ski and mountain bike, you know, for a year, move to DC, work in a presidential campaign and administration, move home, build a biodiesel plant. Uh become an oil and gas lobbyist, and then apply for a job as an editorialist at the Democrat Gazette. That's exactly, yeah, very normal yeah, it's just, That's exactly
2: right. what you should do. It is
3: textbook. It's yeah, a sure. textbook uh, route <laughs> to get where I am right now.
2: So in Durden college, you summer interned for Governor Clinton. Mm-hmm. I guess it was Governor Clinton at the time. Yeah. And then you were also one year in, in Washington with Senator Dale Bumpers. Talk about those years and what you learned.
3: Well, I uh, I was in Washington for that summer, uh, in the summer of 87, so... <laughs> I'm already dating myself, but um, it, it did something for me that really, for one, it 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 made me kind of understand that there's not all that much difference between me and, you know, the guy who goes to Harvard or Yale or, you know, Vanderbilt or, or wherever. So I kind of gained some confidence just, I guess, maybe intellectually.
2: Didn't you get a gift going to Washington to learn that we all put our pants on one leg at a time?
3: Yeah. You know, I lived in D.C. for 10 years after, you know, when I got out of college. And uh, you do start to understand that uh, these are people and not everybody does everything for blatant political reasons. Um, are you sure? Well, um, <laughs> I, I think I think we call that into question in, uh, in some cases. But I think that, you know, some people really are doing what they do because they think it's right i mean asa hutchins said something said something like that uh i think over the weekend that uh or i guess john Brummett wrote about it um that you know sometimes you just do and say what you think is right and with with no you know political agenda or ulterior motive um and there's a lot of that that goes in goes on in washington dc that, that people just don't understand that but i think the main thing for whatever reason, is that, you know, right now people just want to be mad. and. and when
2: well, they want to get on the cover of the newspaper and on the headlines. And the only way you can do that is if you say something outrageous or you...
3: They want to raise money so they can get reelected. They're not so concerned about how it would impact their party. And I'm thinking of a few people in general and I will say if we get into any political discussion, I just want to make sure that you know that these are my opinions and not necessarily those of the Democrat Gazette. So, I mean, I, I do need to say that because, you know, I'm the way it works at the Democrat Gazette, um, or really at, at any newsroom, you know, I'm in the editorial section and then there's the journalism section and there's a wall between us. Basically, we don't, we don't tell them what to report on and they don't, tell us how how to think about what they reported on. So nice. um, you know, and there are some things that I would say politically if I had my own column that I can't say because basically we're, you know, I'm a big music person and it's kind of like, you know, we're the studio musicians. You know, we're Rex Nelson's of the world and, and John Brummett and those guys are the they're the lead guitarists and lead vocalists. You know, we're <laughs> we're the guys we're the guys who don't get, you know, our, uh, our name, you know, on the album cover. Yeah. But we provide a lot of the music. We're back up. Yeah. You know, I have certainly have a lot of political opinions and, and uh, and they let
2: you write about those though, don't they?
3: Well, they do to some degree. Um, and let me, I just, before we go much further, I do want to, you know, I've been there, I've been to the Democratic about 90 days. So it's, this is new. I've had 60, uh, editorials published and they range anywhere from three or four paragraphs to the, the entire, you know, How long column. did
2: you say you've been there? 90 days? 90. And you've written how many?
3: About, I had 60 published.
2: How many have you written?
3: I don't know, 85, 90. Every day. You'd be surprised that when somebody's paying you to write how much you can, how much content you can provide. But it's just a smattering of what, of what I've kind of, I've written about artificial intelligence. Argenta, standard lithium, renewable energy, oil and gas, uh, laboratory-produced food from woolly mammoths, goat herding in California, election denialism, book banning mortgage rates, uh, the Little Rock Port, river dredging, eagles being killed by windmill, mills, deaths from self-driving cars, federal land leasing, voter ID, and uh, even the death of Gordon Lightfoot. So they've given me a lot of freedom, you know, I'm not assigned anything. The philosophy is that if you think it's interesting, then most likely other people will think it's interesting. And I, I question that philosophy some.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When did you start playing the guitar?
3: Five, six years ago.
2: Oh, recently.
3: Yeah. I'm self-taught and if I had a guitar, I could probably convince you of that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know. After my son died, um, there was a lot, obviously, there was a lot of introspection and uh, I wanted to do something, you know, something positive, uh, you know, from a, you know, prevention standpoint. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I could do. Um, And so a friend of mine had started a blog and um, I called her up and I said, how did you do that? You know, and we talked a little bit and I started a blog called face uh, Folks forward, very positive, very, you know, get up, dust yourself off. you n- don't ever be the victim, you know, kind of a mentality, which we can come back to later that I, because I did allow myself to become the victim eventually. But I wrote that for about a year and, and that was um, I got such positive feedback on it um, that that's one of the things that gave me the confidence plus the Facebook postings that, People giving me so much positive feedback on it—that's one of the things that gave me the confidence to to uh, apply at the Democrat Gazette. But after about a year of writing that blog, I just—I felt like I'd said everything I could say, or everything that I knew to say. I mean, I'm not a mental health expert at all, and I—and all I can do is relate, you know, my personal experience. And I just kind of unapologetically put it away. And you know, it's out there for people. You know, so people still go to the Facebook page um and i i usually i can see where more people visit that facebook page when there's some kind of tragedy um like kind of within my community the reason i did a blog is because i didn't want to write all this stuff like i do the razorback stuff on facebook i mean i don't want to subject everybody who if they don't want to read about it
2: so you didn't I, want it to be in their news feed you yeah, want them to go to it if they right. Wanted to go. right i to mean it.
3: if they're interested you know and there were enough people interested that that i did start a facebook page with that uh you know with the blog and so people could go and they could read some of the stuff on facebook without having to go into the blog and all that but when i stopped writing the blog i picked up the guitar you know i wanted to learn how to play guitar and um it's just been a lifelong kind of not obsession or i would have done it a lot earlier And through all the ups and downs, I don't really have any regrets in life. But the one regret I have is that I didn't start playing guitar earlier. Really? Yeah. It's something where now, um, and I am getting, you know, better enough that my neighbors unsolicited have can't. I can't believe you never had lessons. And, you know, it's like, this is the greatest day of my life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are there musicians in your family?
3: No, my dad played guitar. He did. Uh, but so there not, you go. But not, you know, uh, he was not Jimmy Page, you yeah. know. I mean.
2: But you've got the you've got it in your DNA.
3: Well, I guess a little bit. Um
2: All right, let's take a so. break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Tommy fultz jack of all trades as you've heard. Currently, he's an editorial writer for the Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, Arkansas. We'll be right back.
0: Flagandbanner.com, filled with experts when it comes to displaying a flag. Oh, there's way more to it than you might think. For example, all the different types of flagpoles. They're all different. Residential flagpoles, commercial flagpoles, ceremonial flagpoles. You can talk to any one of the U.S.-based flag experts at FlagAndBanner.com on our toll-free number and get an idea of what you should be thinking about buying. Here's the number, 1-800-445-0653. And act quickly, because right now you can save 15% on your order. Use the code
1: FP15 and get 15% off your order. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag & Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, the flagandbanner.com. Back to you, Carrie.
2: You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I am telling an American-made story today. I'm speaking today with a writer, a businessman, a politician, a dad, and a survivor, Mr. Tommy Fultz. All right, you have, just to recap, if you're just tuning in right now, you have, you're a place kicker in high school, thought you were going to be in one in college. You've gone to, you've dabbled in politics a little bit. Uh, you've been appointed, I think. To uh, you, didn't you get an appointment to Bill Clinton when he when he became the president because you worked on his campaign I and did. he appointed you and I think that's how you started into your energy into your energy yeah. business. So you got an appointment uh, to
3: the well, U.S. Department of Energy.
2: There you go, U.S. Department of Energy in Washington D.C. So you had moved home to Little Rock to work on his campaign, mm-hmm. and now you've been appointed and you're moving back to Washington, a place you really know well because you spent your summers there
3: yeah well you know when I left um Aspen in 91 I moved I mean I was in Little Rock for about 12 days and went straight over to DC and was there for about 10 months Clinton announced um and I ended up throwing everything in my mom and stepdad's house and went on the road uh doing advance work and that's why I can say that I've uh visited 47 of the lower 48 States. So after the campaign, you know, it was again, I mean, uh, you know, a week or so home and then straight over to DC, moved over to DC in uh, like Thanksgiving week of 92 and, um, worked on the presidential inaugural committee. Um, and when that was over with, you know, everybody was scrambling to get try to get jobs in the administration. And I thought, you know, I know I'm going to move home to Arkansas at some point. And, you know, Arkansas is kind of an energy state. I didn't really know what I was talking about at that time. And we're not as big of an energy state as I thought we were, although we're kind of turning the corner on that right now.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: But I thought, you know, the energy department would be a good place for me to be. And so I spent four, four years there as a presidential appointee. And, um, what I did was specifically was I was trying to help develop the market for natural gas vehicles after four years, I left the department and started my own consulting firm called Clean Fuel Strategies.
2: Who did you consult
3: uh people in the natural gas vehicle market?
2: What would be something they'd come to you and say, I need to know
3: I was not a registered lobbyist but which meant you know I couldn't go ask a congressman from Colorado for their vote, but I could introduce. My oh, clients from Colorado to um,
2: people from the U.S. Department of Energy,
3: yeah, or or Congress, um, and I was was also a grant writer, and we would try to develop a project, and we'd go out and get the grant funding for the fleet that that we wanted to provide the fuel for. When I was at Petrohawk and BHP Billiton, you know, as an employee, I wasn't consulting for them. Um, one thing we were able to do is we were able to get Petrohawk to endorse disclosing the chemicals that are used in hydraulic fracturing.
2: Oh, so that's a big one. We
3: were taking kind of a progressive, you know, forward thing stance and we weren't the only ones. I mean, we there were some other good uh producers that were doing the same thing. And for people
2: that don't fracking was making people's water burn.
3: Well, remember
2: that's, that? That's what they said. A lot of that was don't a lot that?
3: of that was staged. I mean, I, I know for a fact that a lot really? of that was staged. Yeah. I mean, there and that's not to say that that fracking can't contaminate ground groundwater because it can, and like the earthquakes over in Oklahoma, I mean, that was, that was from fracking. Yeah. And that was, it wasn't really from fracking. It was injecting the water back into the ground in the wrong place. And, you know, the geology that I don't understand.
2: Let me, let me go back there to tell
3: you about my, what I'm most proud of. I'm sorry. Yes. In the process of fracking, there is a lot of trucking that is, that's used and. We were very big down in South Texas and those are caliche kind of dirt gravel roads, and you know, they require a lot of maintenance. And so we, as a company would just cut a check to the county, um, right before we, uh, drilled a well, it was never enough, but when the, with the, I was able to get the Texas legislature, uh, with some help, but I've kind of spearheaded the whole thing to get $225 million from the state to the counties to repair those roads. And again, it wasn't enough, but it's a whole lot better than $0. And it was the first time that I know of in the history of the state of Texas, where the state actually provided money to the counties, because there's a big separation between state and county in Texas. And so, you know, to get $225 million was a pretty big deal.
2: Are we going to run out of oil and gas?
3: The stone age did not end because we ran out of stones. I was put it that way.
2: <laughs> what does that mean?
3: And what that means is that we will use oil and gas until it's no longer economically viable to use oil and gas. I mean we we stopped using rocks to kill buffaloes back in caveman days when we figured out the bow and arrow. And now we progressed all the way to a rifle. And so we're not using as much oil and gas because we figured out a way to harness the sun and the wind. Now the fact is that uh, with with the increase in the use of electricity, we need it all. Yeah, I mean it's not like one or the other. We need we need all the you know the more energy we have in the marketplace, the lower it costs. That's better for people on fixed incomes, the elderly.
2: So the solar yeah. panels can go into the electrical grid. Oh yeah, to, so that we don't have to.
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, and they can either power your house, or they can power the grid, or they can power what kind of car industrial you operations.
2: How do you fuel your car?
3: I drive a Ford F one hundred and fifty pickup truck.
2: Well, of course you do. Well, but
3: I've driven all kinds of different cars. But you know, I mean, I I like to go hunting. Oh yeah, it's
2: hard to get up. So
3: yeah, you can't really take a Honda Accord into the duck woods.
2: it's (laughs) hard to get up. It's hard to find a charging station. Yeah,
3: but but like (laughs) I say, you know, I'm I'm I am all for uh, renewable energy. I think it's I think it's great. But just everyone has to understand that. It's not 100% clean, and that's the way it's being sold.
2: So, first thing, you talked about history repeating itself. Do you feel like we're repeating ourselves in history right now?
3: Yeah. Uh, Again, these are my opinions and not necessarily those of the Democrat Gazette. But I just see a lot of the uh, politics these days smacks of McCarthyism. And um, we settled a lot of the labor issues a long, long time ago child labor you know we settled that a long time ago it's one of the things that differentiates us from the rest of the world and now we're rolling that back why we are yeah
2: I what mean, are we it, doing
3: oh there's i mean there are a number of states out there that um are making it uh easier for you know a 14 year old to go work in a meatpacking factory mm-hmm. or or work, work a night shift kind of factory night shifts deep how old were you when you got
2: your first job
3: Probably fifteen working on a golf course that's a whole different deal than a working in a factory yeah you know and it's a in a summertime deal.
2: And I worked in a restaurant when I was fifteen.
3: yeah so there I mean there you know there are um, you know uh, just a lot of things that seem like we're people are trying to uh, thwart the progress that's been made that's kind of generally accepted and that is generally accepted by the vast majority of Americans, but the people in charge, because of the way we draw our congressional districts.
2: Is that ever going to get right?
3: I don't know. It's been a problem for
2: about 10 years, uh,
3: about 250 and it's not, it's not just in America either. I mean, it's the people in charge are going to draw the, the lines that are the most favorable to them so much. So that, um, you know, the real contest is in the primary. And so when the real contest is in the primary, um, you're going to get the, the most extreme the most extreme people go and vote in the primary. So they're going to, you know, elect the most extreme candidates.
2: Yes. Why do so, extreme people go to the polls?
3: Because they're more passionate. But, you know, but the result of all that is, you know, not only is it bad policy, but it's also, you know, you've got 40% of America that will, that refuses to claim a political party, either Democrat or Republican.
2: I remember I read in one of in your bio in 2004 you ran unsuccessfully as a state representative. You are endorsed by the Dem- Democrat Gazette yeah. that you now work for, and this and you wrote this is when I realized I was really neither a Democrat or a Republican, too conservative to win the Democratic. P- primary, too liberal to be a Republican. I thought, boy, is That's, that not all of America?
3: Well, pretty much. It is now.
2: This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Tommy Fultz, jack of all trades. Currently, he's the master en- of none. Ma- oh, I left that part <laughs> out. I don't know about that. You're pretty good at writing. Currently, he is an editorial writer for the Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, Arkansas. Still to come, surviving liver failure, and Tommy shares the heartbreak of his son's suicide and how he healed and learned to live with it.
0: Part of Carrie McCoy Enterprises is OurCornerMarket.com, the perfect online shopping site for everything you need to strengthen your business's image or beautify your home and landscaping. You can browse through products like custom plaques in bronze or aluminum, business signage, address plaques to dress up your home or apartment complex, memorial stones and markers, even for your beloved pets, logo mats, and countless other items. Please visit OurCornerMarket.com today and start shopping.
2: You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with a writer, a businessman, a politician, a dad, and a survivor, Mr. Tommy Fultz. So it's your parents' worst nightmare. And I want to tell our listeners that you wrote me and said, I want to talk about this. I want to share what I know. It's you're, you're paying forward what you've learned. And you just, last week, I read your uh, article where you wrote about it. It's a parent's nurse, worst nightmare. His son dies of suicide in March of 2014. He starts a blog, talk about posting on Facebook, how it happened. Are there warning signs?
3: There are definitely warning signs. Um, And we had them. I mean, um, you know, I had two twin boys and, uh, and I will say, you know, this is just kind of a, It's just the way life is. Um, you know, one of my sons just graduated from the University of Arkansas. He took a job in Dallas. He is as well adjusted as any kid I've ever seen, you know, um, love him to death. We've got a great relationship.
2: How old was he when his brother passed? They were
3: 13. I guess what I haven't really talked about is that, you know, I actually wrote a book about this and I have not published. But, you know, in doing some of the research, you know, statistically speaking, I was probably one of five dads in Arkansas that year that, who lost a 10 to 14 year old to suicide. So that alone is, um, makes you feel a little bit lonely. We don't really, uh, you know, and never really will know exactly what was wrong.
2: No, note.
3: Yeah. There was a note.
2: Oh.
3: Um, but it's, yeah. I won't say what the rest of the notes said, but it was all very nice to everyone he addressed, but he addressed it to me saying, dad, I love you a lot. And that a lot for a 13 year old to me was kind of, wow, we're good with each other. He had been in therapy. Um, we would tried, you know, medication, um, and so it was not, I mean, yes, of course it was a shock, but it was not, we knew it was a possibility. And, uh, as you know, a lot of suicide victims, uh, seem to be getting better once they've made the choice that they, they have come to peace with Mm -hmm. what they're going to do. And it's just a matter of when they're going to do it. And it just happened that the opportunity presented itself at my house. And, uh, so I was the first one to him and it was, I mean, it was over before I got to him. Um. And, you know, it, it, uh, you know, and I had a great relationship with him. I mean, you know, uh, it was exceedingly difficult. I tried to stay as absolutely positive as I could. As I said, you know, on the the folks Forward blog, I tried to make everything look, you know, the, the traffic doesn't stop, you know, how do you get up in the morning? You set the alarm clock, you know, and you know, people. Will feel sorry for you, up to a point. As long as you, if if you're showing people that you are trying to get over it, and not over it, and I don't want to say past it because I never want to be over it. Yeah. And I, so I'm not now, um, and I and I don't think I ever will be. Um, it, you know, you you have to understand that you you know it's not all about you all the time and that the world's going to keep, keep moving with or without you and um that's kind of was my you know mentality uh with the folks forward blog
2: where were you working and, at the time
3: um bhp Billiton.
2: were, were you married
3: no we, we were divorced we've been divorced about a year at that point and uh I was, but he was
2: staying at your house
3: well i mean we shared custody. I mean, she was the primary caregiver, but I mean, I had the, my, my kids, uh, every weekend. I mean, I, I was, I mean, BHP expected me to be in the office Monday morning at eight, Friday afternoon at five. So I had a, an apartment down there and I had a house here. And every single weekend I came back because I, I love my kids. You know, right. I, I wanted to be part of their lives. And, um, so, we, it, this was like right at the end of, it was on a Sunday afternoon, right at the end of a ski trip during spring break. And, uh, which we had had a great time and, um, he had gotten in trouble before that. And there was questions question as whether or not we were even going to do the trip because, you know, he was in trouble. Um, so why take him skiing?
2: He's a 13 year old. Aren't they all in trouble?
3: Yeah. But, you know, there's two things to that though. One is that, you know, you can't punish Davis for that. And that's and so we didn't take the tri- ski
2: that's trip. That's your other son.
3: Yeah, my other son. Mm-hmm. You know, he he didn't do anything wrong, so he you know he deserves a ski trip. But the other is you know how much worse will it make it if we didn't go on the trip? And you know, and you know, like I said, we had a great time. It was a you know, just a we always had a great time together. um
2: Does suicide run in your family or mental health problems?
3: Not that I know of.
2: When but. you talk about, when you hear people talk about on TV about, because your son, I think, shot himself, right? Yeah. yeah. When you hear people talk on TV about uh, about mental health and gun control and passing inspections and stuff to whether they can buy guns, do you think that has any relevance at all? Would that work at all? Or does it stigmatize mental health?
3: I think that anybody who goes in, to a school or sets up outside of school and just starts indiscriminately firing, I think we can all agree has got mental challenges. Yes. You know, I have guns, I'm a hunter, I'm not anti-gun at all. Um, but I don't understand why we can't do simple things. I mean, for instance, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it didn't work in my case. All my, all my guns were locked up, and the key to my gun locker was, on my keychain, which is normally in Houston. And they just happened to be out that day uh, on, on the coffee table. And so, uh, you know, my son, he obviously had a plan.
2: Yeah. Sounds like it.
3: And so he saw those keys and he went and unlocked the locker and you know, the rest is history. And that's what I said in that, that piece that I wrote earlier this week is that, you know, this is not, you know, it's not about anti-guns, but lock up your guns, but understand that, you know, a gun locker with a key is like a locked closet and, you know, that you also might want to do, you know, gun locks, but that's, even if you have a perfectly well-adjusted situation, you know, with, you know, perfectly well-adjusted kids, lock up your guns. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have um, the gun available ability that we do have, you know, I mean, how many people are going to run into a school and start stabbing people on how successful would they be
2: one? I mean, you wouldn't die from it. You get the arm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well,
3: you know, I mean, I mean, it, it has happened, sure. but not anywhere close to the level of, I mean, there've been more, uh, school shootings or mass shootings than there have been days in 2023. <gasps> oh yeah. It happens all the time. And I mean, you know, I mean, the red flag laws, that's a good start. Red flag laws came from suicide prevention. Um, and you know, if you describe a red flag law, well, it's like, if you're, if you're posting something on social media that, uh, you know, is racist or, you know, I'm going to do this, or, you know, whatever, when somebody tells you they're going to do something, you need to listen to them. And if you're throwing that stuff out on social media, then somebody should be able to say, Hey, Mr. Policeman, look at this guy's social media posts, because how many times have we seen you know, the, in the aftermath of one of these shootings, that well, yeah, there was there's all these incendiary comments on uh, on social media. How long is it going to take for for somebody to do something? And you know, there there's some out there who are just kind of like, well, you know,
2: you know, I this grew just up with, happens. I grew up with guns. And my father was a hunter. My husband's a hunter. And we grew up with guns, but we didn't have automatic weapons. No, i mean I'm, i don't understand why we have to have these these military weapons in homes i really don't i don't that well, hunters don't hunt with them it tears your meat up
3: well i think it well there and that's another complex. i mean i've shot an ar-15 before well i um, have too
2: actually yeah I mean, and I,
3: you know and <laughs> but
2: i don't and I, that's why i know we don't need them <laughs>
3: well yeah i mean but you know it's like talking about how 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 much damage they do well that's an ammunition issue it's not the gun I mean that's obviously very related, but let's let's not say that it the gun fires
2: really rapid though.
3: Well, it's I mean it it's, it
2: can shoot a lot of people, but no matter it, what size the bullet, but it's is. not a
3: machine gun.
2: Close enough. You're not going to hunt with it.
3: You can not hunt hogs with it. Okay. I, I mean I mean really. Well, I, that's true. See, and that's and that's where you know Democrats got the, got it so wrong, is that they focused more on what the gun looks like rather than what the capability is and you know and now that doesn't excuse republicans for anything but democrats need to learn more about the issue before they really well i think i saw
2: you write or somebody in your paper wrote about how we care so much about the kids, and, you know, they're all talking about the kids with these, with, with all of these transgenders. We're protecting the kids. We're protecting the kids. And then you see where the where Amer- all of America writes back and says, well, if you want to protect our kids, yeah. get, get some gun laws.
3: Yeah, and I don't, I don't understand. Well, I do understand it. I mean, the NRA is a very powerful lobbying group. I mean, and, and, you know, and the, one thing that people need to understand too is that this is a uniquely american issue mm-hmm. yes it is i mean it's not it doesn't happen everywhere around the world mm-hmm. it is here and so
2: but we're still the best country everybody's trying to get in here
3: i'm i'm with you i if mean you open I, I, wouldn't the gates. Have, I wouldn't if you have, open
2: up the gates everybody in the world would flood to america
3: don't get me wrong i mean i would, you know i wouldn't want to live anywhere else i wouldn't either um i'll just say that that my son's suicide in yes. many ways, not the only way, but as I am, I'm the one responsible for my, my liver issues that landed me in a hospital for eight days in Florida. Um, but all of it kind of compounded itself. And that was where, you know, when I wrote the book that I haven't published and I'm not sure I'm ever will, it was at a time where I knew that I wasn't doing that great. And I was kind of thinking, you know, how can I be, with a straight face, say, Here's how I handled it. You might want to handle it the same way because it didn't lead me down the right road. And, you know, luckily by the grace of God, I survived that. And, you know, I'm healthier right now than I've probably been in 20 years. You look great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> you're, you're, you seem happier too than you have.
3: Well, there's, there's no question. I mean, that I'm happier with, the, uh, You know, I've had some very difficult soul searching moments where I've had to really pull myself out of the depths. And with the help of people like my sister have really helped me kind of get back on my feet. And then to get this, you know, start working at the Democrat Gazette and being able to do what I do on a daily basis. It's really hard for me not to be happy right now. You know.
2: What what if if a parent is suffering this listening and says yes my son committed suicide i mean, I can think of a lot of people whose children have committed suicide is there a piece of advice that worked for you that stays with you that you think about
3: Well I can tell you the the best um first thing is uh, I would I would suggest getting professional help I had some counseling after you know in the aftermath of it but it it wasn't uh, I didn't do it for very long Because I, I I mean, the way I didn't think I needed it, I thought I was doing just fine. And I was for a long time, but one of my counselors asked me in the immediate aftermath of this, he said, would you have a problem, you know, writing a letter to your son? And also you might want to just describe the day and do it in detail. Not, not for anybody else to see, but just for yourself and then he made (laughs) me i brought that assignment back in and he made me read it out loud
2: tough Uh, Woo. Woo, i bet that was tough it
3: was uh, yeah Um, but what the idea is when you go through a tragedy whether it's a suicide or any kind of tragedy you've got the tragedy swirling around in your head and it's getting in the the way of any kind of focus and ability to to do anything else whereas if you write it down it's, it's kind of like you file it away you know where you can access that it. it's like a computer file. You know, you can go back to it and and look at it look at it again. But it you know at the, at the end of that you close it up, put it back in the computer and you know spend the rest of your day living. That was a perfect assi- assignment for me as a writer. Um he didn't mm-hmm. know that I you know he had no idea that I would like to write. It. No, I mean Oh wow. We weren't even, you know, um, At that time, nobody really knew I was kind of a writer at heart. All
2: right. This is the last break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Tommy Fultz, writer of the Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, Arkansas. Still to come, Act 3, maybe Act 4, depending on how you want to look at his life. Surviving liver failure. We're talking about his eight days in Florida and what he thinks his next act will be, because I know he's thinking because he's always thinking. We'll be right back.
0: com filled with experts when it comes to displaying a flag. Oh, there's way more to it than you might think. For example, all the different types of flagpoles. They're all different. Residential flagpoles, commercial flagpoles, ceremonial flagpoles. You can talk to any one of the U.S.-based flag experts at flagandbanner.com on our toll-free number and get an idea of what you should be thinking about buying. Here's the number, 1-800-445-0653. 1-800-455-0653. No matter what you're looking for, aluminum flagpoles, entire kits, commercial flagpoles, residential flagpoles, we've got all the answers and all the products at flagandbanner.com. And act quickly, because right now you can save 15% on your order. For parties, presentations, patriotism, whatever reason, use the code FP15 and get 15% off your order.
2: You're listening to Up In Your Business, speaking today with a man of many talents. He is a writer, a businessman, a politician, a sports enthusiast, an entrepreneur, and a dad, and he's a survivor, Mr. Tommy Fultz. Boy, it's been fun to talk to you. All right, you went to the hospital, eight days in the hospital, recovering from acute liver failure. Did you know it was coming? Were you down there partying in Florida, sitting on the beach, and you had an attack? What happened?
3: Well, I didn't know that it was coming at the velocity <laughs> that it did. There was a period of time there where I was
2: turning yellow.
3: Yeah, I truly did. I was jaundiced and, um, the doc, my doctor here, uh, knew it. I mean, he saw me and, and he was like, there's no doubt, you know? And so for whatever reason he said, when you get back from Florida, I was kind of like thinking, man, he should never have let me go to Florida, but
2: He's not your mother,
3: but I didn't, you know, I didn't, I I did not take it anywhere nearly serious enough. Um, and so we were down there, we went on a, um, fishing trip. My, my son was with me and a few of his friends and I, one, I was dating at the time and, and, you know, I really didn't feel good at all. I mean, just not myself, And I mean, I couldn't even finish a beer. Um,
2: yeah, you were sick.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as soon as we got on the boat, you know, of course it's hot outside and there's, there's down below there's an air-conditioned cabin. I went straight down there and slept for the whole deal. I mean, I know some of the things that happened from the time we got off the boat until the time that I went to the hospital. I remember
2: how did they hallucinations. Some, how did they know something was wrong with you?
3: Because I couldn't get up. Making no sense. Couldn't I mean, get could, up. Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, it was... My only request was, or it wasn't a request, it was a demand. I was like, I said, just no ambulance, just take me. And so, I mean, my the girl that I was seeing at the time deserved some of the credit for me being alive, as does my son. I was just kind of babbling on about nothing, and um, just saying some really kind of stupid things. And she said, you know, Davis, why don't you come in here and talk to your dad, and I think he needs to go to the hospital, and. He talked to me for a couple of minutes and uh, I said, he needs to go to the hospital. I got phenomenal care down there by, as luck would have it, somebody who was trained at UAMS. You know, the biggest thing was that it was kind of like, you can never drink again. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) live. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't quite that bad, but, um, but you know, I mean, And, you know, people pat me on the back all the time for, you know, it's been over three years now to not have a drink. They pat me on the back and I just say, and I appreciate it when they do, but I have to remind them that my alternative is death. And so I love living too much.
2: There's a lot of people that don't choose life.
3: I was about to say, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know.
2: Did you go to AA?
3: No, I never have.
2: Oh, yeah. you're missing out on something absolutely wonderful. Well,
1: we're, we're all part of the club here at Flag Banner.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, there's well, a lot of know, us here I, at Flag Banner. I just, I don't, you know, I, I don't have a thing in the world against that or Al Anon or any of those pro- I mean, I think mm-hmm. they're all very positive. I just haven't felt like I've had the need.
2: You know, Arkansas has the ninth largest AA family in the world.
1: That's really? interesting. not um, that.
2: Club 99 in, in rotary. rotary is Club 99. It's the 99th largest Rotary in the world. And AA has the ninth largest. Huh. If you want to make some good connections, go to AA. You will <laughs> well, you know,
1: yeah, also that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, never mind support, just good connections. I'm well,
2: telling you, it's well, a social you know, event up there.
3: Well, I mean, I will say. Uh,
2: All the fun people are dry alcoholics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tommy I mean, is a good example. My husband is a good example. <laughs> Sure. My daughter's another good example. Sure. My yeah. other son's a good example. Half of the family we get together. Half the family drinks. Half the family's teetotal.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of my buddies, you know, he's like, "Man, folks, you're the you're the first person I've ever seen that had, didn't have to go through rehab to quit drinking." <laughs> I was like, I, "You know, I, I consider myself lucky, and you know, a knock on wood that I don't really well, have you the did, desire." You
2: did detox though in a yes. hospital. Yes. That is where is that that very first week or so is the yeah. hardest and scariest and when an alcoholic could die
3: yeah and and i was close i mean I, uh, the woman that i was with um was they thought that she was my wife and they said you need to prepare yourself that there's about a 10 percent chance of him leaving here alive and that's small mm-hmm. and um
2: did you have to have a transplant or anything
3: no and huh? i mean they expect a full recovery the whole thing and i you know i got to say too that, um, you know what, it, it feels good to feel good. Uh, you know, I'd love to have a beer on the golf course, sunny afternoon, but it's just, I can't, I can't, and that's, that's okay. It ain't the end of the world, you, you know.
2: You seem to be a speed writer and a reader. You write <laughs> Constantly, I have a feeling you have notepads everywhere in your house with with stuff written on them all over the place. It's all in here. (laughs) (laughs) He's pointing to his head. This Uh is the radio, Tommy. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's YouTube. It's
1: Well, for the
3: benefit of the people in the room. That's right. uh, What are you
2: reading right now?
3: I'm reading Killers of the Flower Moon. It's going to be a a three-and-a-half-hour Martin Scorsese film uh, Mm -hmm. in October, but it's about the Osage Indians who somehow were able to retain their mineral rights in Oklahoma. And at one point in their, you know, back in the twenties and thirties, they were the richest people per capita of anyone in the world. And, but then they started getting murdered, but I've usually got, you know, a couple of books open by the bed.
2: Oration <laughs> of JFK. Is that all of his speeches?
3: Oh, no, no. Uh, the book was called, um, a hero for our time. I just, like the soaring rhetoric, the positive, the, you know, not
2: the way he writes. Well, yeah,
3: the way, and in the way he spoke, I mean, just, he was appealing to our better angels. And I just, I can't, you know, emphasize how important that is to the psyche of the country. You know, I mean, the last thing you want is somebody out there trying to divide. We can't be divided and, That's what's been happening. And, you know, And listen, I don't like the MAGA right. I don't like the woke left. I'm with you. You know, I mean, I don't don't want books banned, but I don't want them scrubbed either. You know? Right. I mean, there is value, in my opinion, there is value to reading a book the way it was written, when it was written. At the time. At the time. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: You know, um, because for one, it tells you how far we've come and maybe how far we still have to go. One of the things that got me out of my real funk was the poem Invictus, or it's either Invicta or Invictus, it's by, uh, Paul Hemsley. And it's the, it is the poem that Nelson Mandela recited to himself every single day for 23 or 27 years mm. or whatever it was in the, in prison. You know, it's like when you're, you've got, you're in that bad spot. And you're thinking, okay, I'm in the tunnel. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know it's not an oncoming train, but you still got a ways to go. I read this poem one night, and it's like the train picked me up and jet just pulled me out in this, you know, broad sunlight. And the reason it did is because that poem was written while he was in the hospital after having a foot amputated. The state of mind that he was in when he wrote that poem is inspiring. To think, if he can if he can stay that positive, and and believe in himself that much in that condition, that means something. It's not, they're not just pretty words. It means something, and that's a long way from talking about Mark Twain. But still, you read a Mark Twain book. Or you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, or something like that, and you think, okay, it was written during a time when you know, that's a history lesson, as much as it is anything else. So I mean, don't don't scrub it. Some of this stuff, you know, Dr. Seuss. I mean, the, his estate is okay with scrubbing some of the no. his books. And it's like, come on.
2: I just said this the other day in a speech to Rotary. They were asking me about us quitting, the selling, stopping selling the Confederate flag. And I said, you know, I didn't want to do it because I don't know if people know this, but the Confederate flag was a veteran's flag. It was not. The hmm. body blue was the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag that we know that's been taken Battle over flag. by hate groups was adopted by the Sons of the Confederacy as a veteran's flag. And so when you saw it, it was a veteran's flag. I didn't like the Vietnam War. Doesn't mean I'm mad at the the War the veterans. Right. So I was kind of against stopping the Confederate flight because it's a symbol for veterans, men that may have done something in error, but never in doubt. Yeah. And, you know, they were honorable guys, but it got t- taken over by a hate group. And, you know, it just became hard to do. You know, you, you can't, you, you you can't look cherry at, pick little things because exactly. times were different at different times. You have to and, look
3: at the body of work.
2: Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of what I was saying, too. Things were different at a different time. Right. All right. What's this? Is the last question. What's next, Tommy? I know you've been thinking about it. What are you loving? What are you doing? What do you think about when you're not thinking about writing for the Gazette?
3: What's next is going back to the office and trying to write something for the Democrat Gazette. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't really. I mean, honestly. Uh,
2: you don't dream about something when you lay in bed at night? I dream about owning a farm, well, and riding around on a four wheeler on a farm. That's what I dream about.
3: Yeah, baby. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. I mean, you got um, a lot,
2: probably. You're a hunter. You probably you probably want to just go find you a cabin yeah, in love, the woods.
3: I'd love for some like long lost uncle to leave me a bunch of money, and you know, I could get my own duck club, and you know.
2: Oh yeah, you're a duck hunter, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I don't really. Yeah. Uh, I've te- I've been I've been deer hunting but it's kind of like standing in the wilderness with a loaded rifle.
2: Freezing your ass off. And that's off. it.
3: So I, I, <laughs> I think my dad likes it though.
2: That is yeah. exactly <laughs> well, what my I husband mean, loves. Uh, I mean, listen, some
3: people some people are built are built more for uh, deer hunting. Some people are built more for uh, duck hunting. And yeah. I mean,
2: he likes the solitude. I like to be able to, I
3: like to be able to talk. And yeah. you can do that when you're duck hunting until the ducks come close.
2: So mm-hmm. I just wanted to say thank you. I gave you I gave you a desk set. That is a Colorado flag from when you because you loved it from oh, Colorado. Cool. <laughs> that is a Washington D.C. flag because right. you'll probably you might end up back there. Nah. And of course Arkansas <laughs> in the U.S. That's your desk set awesome. for the Democrat thank you. You're thank so you very welcome. much. I appreciate that. I have enjoyed talking to you so much. Well, you're I've just, enjoyed it too. I'll keep reading you.
3: Okay, I'll keep All right. writing.
2: In closing to our listeners, I'd like to thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
1: You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, Gray, that's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.